Blog Talk Radio. How the hell do you think you're going to beat us on September the 7th? Damn, he's got a bench. He's got a bench. Give me my bench. Give me my bench. I'm just taking you get it back. I'm tired of it. I'm not taking it no more. We owe you. We ain't Tennessee. We ain't Georgia. We ain't South Carolina. We ain't Kentucky. This is a mighty, 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 mighty hurricane. Who owes you? We beat you the last six out of seven times. You took us off the schedule. We didn't take you. You took us off. Remember that, Gator Nation. Oh, Gator Nation. I call it a gator cry Now, September the 7th, we'll show you. We own this state. We own the state of Florida. As soon as you said you was going to whoop them canes, I came and I said, BOM! And I, and I tried to break it down to you. And I tried to let everybody know how we was going 10-2 and y'all laughed at me. Try to tell me your gator team's going to be good. Why? Why? Because you're from the SEC? Well, how come the last seven games, y'all only won one month? Out of the last 15, you only won four. You think you're going to come down there and beat us? That's what you're telling me you're telling me at now. You're hiding like a little gopher. I mean, gopher hole, punk-ass gators. Y'all ain't uploaded one thing saying anything you got. Because the only thing you got is Purifoy and Burton. I'll give you Burton. That's it. You couldn't man the offensive line at the spring game. Your left tackle is gone. Your senior wide receiver, DeBose, out toward ACL. And who the throw him the ball anyway, Driscoll? When he drop back, you know what's going to happen. Ninja backflips. Wounded ducks. You get it. Spaghetti noodle arm. Hey, big ziggy time. You kidding me? We had to show y'all how to win championships, didn't we? Yeah. You had to come get that South Florida talent. This is your last match. And it's going down a little something like this. He didn't want to do it. Hurricanes and the Florida Gators square off in a regular season football game. Welcome to a new edition of Kane Sport Live. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com, and we're once again ready, getting ready to embark on the fastest two hours in Hurricane Sports. As always, this is your show, and it will be driven by your participation tonight. Everyone is free to call in and engage in discussion on any Miami Hurricanes related topic all night long. The call in number is 646. 646- 595-2048. That's 646-595-2048. Over the past two days, we asked Canesport.com subscribers to identify some of the topics that they would like discussed on tonight's show. And here are some of the ones they came up with. The defensive line matchups. Can the Hurricanes get pushed and clog holes? Can they slow easily from having a monster game? 
why is the most talented unit on the team, the offensive line, not dominating based on the performance against Florida Atlantic? They didn't seem to play with passion the other night at Sun Life Stadium, even though the Canes had 300 yards rushing. Is the offensive line fairly taking the heat? We'll talk about that tonight. Why didn't Curtis Porter show up more? Will Gus Edwards and Artie Burns receive more playing time as true freshmen since they showed up so well in the opener? Or are they going to continue to work with the second unit in mop-up time? Is Deion Bush going to play this week? How far away is this Hurricane team from Clemson, FSU, and others in the ACC that look so good on opening weekend? I think we're going to find out on Saturday. Are the drops by Stacey Coley an anomaly, or has it been a problem for him and other receivers in practice? The offense at times in the past year has looked all-world and unstoppable, but then against top competition like Kansas State and Notre Dame last year looked out to lunch. Does this change on Saturday, and if so, why? We'll talk about that tonight. Do you see Shayon Green's repetitions dissipating as the season progresses and more of these guys like Gilbert push for a starting job at defensive end? What about Muhammad? Is he going to see more reps on early downs in addition to the pass rush package that he's involved in right now? The linebackers, Armbrister and Figueroa, both played well on Friday night. What role will they have moving forward? And was that really Casey Rogers out there on the field on Friday night playing spectacularly? What's his role going to be when Deion Bush is 100% healthy? Can Casey push Jenkins as the other starter at safety? And how big of an impact is this game going to have on recruiting? So many things that we could talk about tonight, Canes fans. Again, the numbers to call in, 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. Let's go out to the 561 for our first call of the evening. You are now on Canes Sport Live. Hello? You with us? All right, I guess we lost them. Okay, now we're going to go to the 954, and on the line we have a guy that is no stranger to these Miami-Florida games. He is Jim Martz. He is the editor of Sport Magazine, a longtime contributor to the magazine and the Canesport.com website, and a guy that goes back a few decades of watching Miami and Florida play football. How you doing tonight, Jim? Gary, I'm doing great. Looking forward to uh, the renewal of this rivalry. Too bad it's not going to continue, but this is a huge game for the Hurricanes and uh, can really set the tone for the rest of this season. Looking forward to it. Well, you know, I mentioned that you've um, been watching Miami and Florida play football going back a few decades now. You, you've written several books on the Hurricanes that included tales from these Miami-Florida games through the years. And, um, you know, what are your thoughts on this series? How many games have you covered, and how exciting has it been for you to be a part of this series? Well, it's been great. Uh, All the games have been exciting. I've been to uh, cover more than eight, I think about 18 of them as I add them up over the years, sometimes covering them for uh, the Miami Herald, Sometimes uh, as the Gator beat writer for the Herald, I did that for four years in the 80s. Don't hold that against me. That's just part of the, the way the assignments go. And, part of growing um, in the industry. you got to start somewhere. Yeah. Sometimes, it's, sometimes it is covering teams like the Gators, right? That's right. I had them and even Bobby Bowden's first season at, at FSU. And uh, and then, of course, all these years with Kane Sports. And unfortunately, there haven't been enough games between the Gators and the Hurricanes in those years. 
as everybody probably knows, this series was played annually beginning all the way back in 1938. Now, I'm not old enough to say I was at that game. I was not, but I've written a lot about it and talked to the late uh, Walt Kaczewski, the all-time Gator hater who did play in that game. And there's a lot of great stories from those days. And as everybody knows, this rivalry went uh, every year up to 1987, except one year in 1943 when Florida didn't have a team. And then since then, there's only been two two two-game series and then the two uh, bowl games. And I think that's unfortunate, but I also see the reasons why Florida doesn't want to play Miami. I think they have several very good reasons, and if I were Florida – I wouldn't schedule Miami either. We're talking to Jim Martz, the editor of Kane Sport Magazine and contributor to canesport.com. He has covered a couple decades of Miami-Florida games. And, Jim, what would you say was the most memorable game that you've watched in this, in this series? Well, as I look back on them, there are four that really stand out. But the one, to me, as I really look at them, the number one game is that 1984 game in Tampa. It was the second game under Jimmy Johnson as the new coach. And, uh, you know, the team's coming off the first national championship. A lot of uh, restructuring uh, with, with the whole program and everything, with Jimmy coming in in the summertime and not even being there for spring practice. They opened the season against Auburn and Bo Jackson up in the Meadowlands. And then just five days later, they've got to play at a so-called neutral site in Tampa, against the Gators, and this was a heck of a game because three touchdowns were scored in the final minute. That's what stands out so much about that game. Kerwin Bell, the Gator quarterback, who you know became a pretty good star, uh, he takes them the length of the field, and they go ahead, I think it's like 20 to 18, 20 to 19, in the final minute. Bernie Kozar comes in to the game then, or comes back in, 41 seconds left. He gets Miami the length of the field for a touchdown pass to Eddie Brown, which is seven seconds left. Then Florida gets the ball back. They're throwing a Hail Mary that is intercepted by Tolbert Bain and returned 59 yards. His time ran out. And so the place is going crazy, of course. As if that isn't enough, as the teams are running off the field, John Ruth, who in those days was known as Sebastian the Ibis, he's out there on the field celebrating, waving his arms around, and his fist smacks Florida coach Charlie Pell in the face. The cops come over, they're ready to arrest him, and John says, you know, it was just inadvertent in action, I didn't really mean it, and Pell just ran off the field, and that was into that. <laughs> the other games that, that really stand out, Gary, was the uh, 1980 game in Gainesville, sort of a retaliation game. The Gators were ranked 18th in the country. Miami was unranked. This course is Snellenberger's second season as Miami's coach. And the Hurricanes won 31-7. to And throughout the game, the Gator fans have been pelting the Miami bench with oranges, ice, and debris, and when uh, in the closing seconds Miami recovered a fumble, Snellenberger called timeout and he sent field goal kicker Danny Miller back onto the field to kick a 35-yard field goal to just sort of stick it to the fans after that. And um, 
Then you go to the next season. I think this was one of the all-time great games, the 81 game, which was the opening game of the season in the Orange Bowl. Jim Kelly is Miami's quarterback. He suffers a calf injury late in the third quarter, and Mark Richt, who's now the Georgia coach, rescued the Hurricanes from a 20-11 to deficit. And the Canes were trailing 20-18 to in the final seconds. They're on the Gator 38-yard line. Um, Schnellenberger asked Danny Miller, who's still on the team, he says, you think you can make it? And Miller says, yes, I can. Goes out, kicks a 55-yard field goal that hit the crossbar, then the left upright and went through for a victory. And then I would say, Gary, that the fourth and uh, of, of the four big games that I thought were the greatest, you have to look at that 2002 game at Gainesville when Miami was ranked number one, the Gators are number six, and the Hurricanes destroyed them 41-16. to That was the first game in the Swamp in 16 years, and that's when Ken Dorsey threw four touchdown passes. Yep. Willis McGahee ran for 204 yards, and they gave Rex Grossman a tough game the whole time. All right, we're going to talk more. Canes Gators with Jim Martz momentarily. Jim, hang in there for a moment. We welcome your calls the entire show. The call-in number is 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. We're going to take a break from Jim Martz for a moment, and we're going to go out to the 561. You are now on Kane Sport Live. Hello? I think he's trying to listen to the show and um, on his computer and his phone at the same time. Okay, you're welcome to call back once more. Um, Jim, you talked a little bit about history, and um, before we go any further, I wanted to play a clip from a special moment in Miami, Florida history that I think is going to be near and the dear to a lot second of people. second and seven on Florida's eight. The entire Gator defense lies down, letting John Hornibrook go in unmolested. With a two-point conversion, it was Florida 45, Miami 16. As it turns out, there was a motive behind the great laydown with John Reeves back in at quarterback. He passes to Carlos Alvarez for 15 yards. That's enough to break Jim Plunkett's all-time career passing mark, 7,300-plus yards. As the Florida team celebrated by taking a dip in the Orange Bowl fountain, Miami's coach Fran Kersey was saying that Gator coach Doug Dickey would live to regret the day he pulled such a Bush League stunt on the Canes. Well, let me say it this way to you. There were several angles to this ball game. Number one is that our football team came to play, and they wanted to win the game very badly. This was a game we thought we would remember over the winter. And uh, so we came to play and played very well to start the ball game and uh, made some things happen. It turned out the half that John Reeves had 170 yards passing at the half, and we felt this made us within striking range of an all-time record in collegiate passing. Uh, those are unusual records. So it uh, got down to the point Harvin Clark returned a punt, 80 yards in there, which uh, if we'd have had that 80 yards to have worked with a little bit, uh, we would not have had to have done anything to get the ball back. As it turned out, we did not have the record. After the game was obviously won, we did not have the record. And so it became a matter of having to get the ball back. Uh, I called timeout two times in a row, hoping that Miami would throw the ball or run wide uh, where we would have an opportunity to they would score or we would have a chance to intercept the ball or something, but they did not. And uh, so we had no choice after our timeouts were all gone. If we wanted to get the record, 
but to let Miami score. Uh, the way it was done was not by my instructions, but the uh, players chose to do that. So uh, I, I would uh, certainly say that what well, we, our intention was was to get the ball back. So Coach Dickey has his reasons for turning what was admittedly a lopsided football game into a farce to give his quarterback a shot at a record. It was Bush League, and Dickey's intimation that he didn't approve of the way his team let Miami score certainly doesn't seem consistent with most of the football coaches I've known. That maneuver last night has to tarnish the image of anyone associated with football at the University of Florida, and if that's an example of the type sportsmanship taught by college football programs at this state's university, then maybe the sport should be de-emphasized. That, of course, is a commentary on the infamous Gator Flop, which, uh, Jim, I think you would agree, is one of the crazier moments in college football history, but one that fans of the Hurricanes certainly will not forget anytime soon. I agree, Gary. You know, that play was really a black eye for college football at a time when they didn't need it because the NFL was really starting to take off at that time. And and uh, it was just a horrific situation. Of course, Fran Kersey was livid. He called it the worst thing he'd ever seen in football. And after the game, he would not shake hands with Doug Dickey. And, you know, you can't blame him for that. Um, where the Gators' mistake was, you know, they shouldn't have just flopped onto the field. If they wanted to let them score, you know, maybe at least make a half effort so it looks like you're doing something. But to literally flop on the field is is absurd. And, of course, it happened in the Orange Bowl, which wasn't a very good thing for for Miami or the, or the Gator fans, I mean the Hurricane fans. And it's something that those who were there and those who have followed the teams over the years, they haven't forgotten. Well, it's five days before the game everyone's been waiting for. We're talking Canes Gators tonight on Cane Sport Live, and we welcome your phone calls. This show will be driven by the fans, and you can call us at 646-595-2048. That's 646-595-2048. We'll talk about season opener against Florida Atlantic. We'll talk about the Gators themselves, what you know challenges that they offer the Hurricanes on Saturday in, in a game that's going to go a long way to whether the Hurricane camp can call this season a success or a failure. Because this is a golden opportunity on Saturday to make yourself relevant again, not just in the state of Florida, but on the national college football landscape. It, it's an opportunity that obviously Al Golden does not want to let fall by the wayside. Um, it's all hands on deck here as the Hurricanes prepare for the Gators. I think it's safe to say Miami is a program that figures to be hungrier on Saturday in Sun Life Stadium, a, a program that has much more to gain by winning this game than Florida. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see how it turns out, and we'd be interested in, in hearing what you think about it. Again, the number is 646-595-2048. Um, Jim, how disappointing in your mind is it that this – series has you know basically been lost in the last decade you know you talked about the great uh, Dorsey performance in Gainesville and obviously there was the Brock Berlin uh, comeback that was so great and you know the, the disappointing day when Tim Tebow beat the Hurricanes but you know for guys like you know me and yourself who go back you know watching this program for so many years um, I would think that you would agree with me that it's highly disappointing 
not only that the series has been lost for the last decade, but now looks like it's going to be indefinitely lost. It is very disappointing, Gary, because you know, this is one of the great rivalries in college football. It's been a great rivalry for Miami. You would probably call it their number one rivalry over the years, at least the longtime fans would. What's a little crazy, of course, is that the current fans and all the players, you know, don't have a clue about the rivalry in the series. They're going to get a crash course this week, but it doesn't quite have the passion that that we knew about it over the years. And it was such a good rivalry, especially in the last two, three decades from Miami's standpoint, because it really, you know, Florida was a measuring stick, and Miami passed them and then set the standard for the country. And then, you know, one started winning national championships, and then Florida, you know, they finally got their act back together and finally won a couple of championships. But I am disappointed that the series isn't continuing. Now, I do see where Florida has a lot of reasons, and I wrote about that, you know, for not playing Miami. And I can understand that because being in the SEC, the toughest conference in the country, they have to play eight SEC games every year. And the SEC is talking about maybe even going to a ninth game, which would make it just about impossible to play Miami. The other thing is Florida's got to play, you know, to meet all their budgets and all that. They've got to play six home games every year. They have to play Florida State by law. You know, the legislature makes them play them. Of course, Florida State, year after year, is a strong, great program, so that's just another tough game for them. So if you're Florida, you don't need Miami on the schedule. You're going to fill up the swamp no matter who you're playing. And you don't need to add an extra big game in there. So I can see it from their standpoint. But from Miami's standpoint, it is too bad. You know, I guess there's been a little bit of talk over the years of trying to get something going. I know Paul D. tried to uh, get that going again when he was athletic director. And of course, he was a Florida graduate and then got his master's at Miami. Um, he was hoping to get something maybe once every four years, uh, but that didn't work out. And then Jeremy Foley, my, or Florida's longtime AD has been quoted as saying, you know, the only possibility would maybe be at a neutral site. But where are you going to play a neutral site game in the state of Florida? There isn't any. You can't play at Tampa, Orlando, or Jacksonville. Those aren't neutral sites. We all know that because the Gators would have most of the tickets. If you want to ask me where I think they should play a neutral site game, I've got the answer for that. How about New York, Yankee Stadium? where Miami has a lot of fans in the Northeast, that could be one place where we'd have more fans than they do other than playing in our home field or maybe go over to the Meadowlands. What do you think of that? You know, I mean, it's an interesting possibility. And, and, and Jeremy Foley, the Florida Athletic Director, kind of alluded to that a little bit yesterday when cornered by reporters in Gainesville and who obviously were very interested in the future of this Miami-Florida series. And, um you know, most people who have listened to Foley through the years, I mean, they know he really doesn't want any part of this series. I, you know, the, these two games that were scheduled, you know, in, in recent times were, you know, almost scheduled because there was enormous pressure to at least have a token appearance of Miami and Florida playing each other. But, you know, Florida goes way back 
way back into the 1980s of looking for reasons to get out of this Miami Florida series. Some of them might be legitimate, you know, from the Florida point of view. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I think it, it, it kind of falls in line with some of the broader problems in college football in general. I mean, let's look at what Louisville's doing this year. You know, they're getting notoriety as this magnificent program that that's going to contend for the national title while playing absolutely nobody. I mean, their toughest game will probably be their last game of the season against Cincinnati, a, a team that probably won't even be in the top 20 in, at that time. So, you know, I, I think that, unfortunately, too many schools are being rewarded for not scheduling competitively or, you know, looking to, to manage their schedules a little bit too much. And until that changes, there really is not going to be a lot of incentive for the Jeremy Foley's of the world to play tougher games. Now, all that said, the purists of the game, the old timers, um, you know, think think it's um, you know hogwash. Uh, last week we had Howard Schnellenberger on the show. In fact, you know, right now, Jim, I'm going to play for you what Howard had to say about this Miami Florida series and Florida's um, what looks like is going to be Florida's refusal to schedule any more regular season games in the near future. They're scared of cats. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's kind of you know coming well, back. You know, that's that's been that's been going on a long time. Do you remember back in uh, ninety uh, eighty two and eighty three when we had to accommodate them, uh, change two of our games? We were playing them. We were playing them uh, the first game of the year uh, for so long and. We uh, they wanted to get out of the games and uh, and uh, we had to go up there twice in a row and then they said we had a we had a um, disparity in the neutral sites over the years that we had played and we had to go to Tampa. Remember me going up there and playing the grass seed in the Tampa Stadium? So yep. it was our home game, but we were playing it up there. So I took a train load of you all up there and. Shorty brought along a sack of uh, bluegrass, not bluegrass, of Bermuda, and we took you sports riders up there and uh, got off there, and we went out there and started planting that grass seed because we declared that as our home turf. Uh, but that's what we had to do to keep the series going. Yeah, they're scared of catch. Um, you can always count him on, on Howard Schnellenberger to put his unique twist uh, on things. Your thoughts on what Howard had to say? Those are great comments. In fact, when I talked to him for an article in Kane Sport, some of his comments were unprintable, so I had to put a lot of dashes and dot, dot, dots and and things like that because he, he really is upset over a lot of things with the Gators over the years and does think they're chicken blanks and so forth. And... Uh, I see his point of view, and uh, in fact, he was telling me he he spoke to the Bull Gators last year, uh, to their fan base up there, and he says oh, they're a tough, tough group to deal with, and uh, getting sort of old as well, which is <laughs> pretty funny as well. But but I think he has a lot of good points, and uh, I just don't see this series continuing though unless they could find some way to play it. At, at a neutral side. I just don't think it's going to continue on. And there's probably not much that can be done about it. I I think um, 
you know, sort of the way college football has been going lately, Texas and Texas A&M series is off. Since A&M joined the SEC, um, Notre Dame and Michigan is going to be off, and part of that might be with Notre Dame playing several schools from the ACC starting pretty soon. And, of course, that will help Miami to get Notre Dame back on the schedule. But a lot of things are changing in college football. And I can see pluses and minuses. I love the way Miami in the old days was willing to play anybody at any time, anywhere. But in those days, they had the, the players to do that. And you've got to have the players to do that. If they get back to that level, then I have no problem with that. On the other hand, I think you have to manage your schedule well these days. And I think Al Golden and uh, Blake James, whoever's been involved in the scheduling for this year, I like the way this schedule sets up. You know, to have a, a good tune-up game last week and then a couple of other tune-up games before the conference starts, and all the conference games are in a row, and there's one home, one road, one home, one road, all the way through, no Thursday night home games. The only Thursday night game is on the road, and they have an open date before that. I think that's a very manageable schedule, and I think for the time being, that's the kind of schedules Miami needs to have. What do you think, Gary? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I I like the way they set up the schedule this year. It's it's not too soft. You have the big game against Florida here this week, and um, you know, then of course you have the conference schedule with the games against Florida State and Virginia Tech and um, North Carolina and all and Georgia Tech. And um, I think, like you said, it's staggered very well and 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 set up for success. And 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 that's why I think that this is just such a big big year for Al Golden in his coaching career because, you know, this is his opportunity to really establish himself as a, as a top-line coach here in the state of Florida. Um, if we're honest about it, Miami's been lagging behind the Gators and the Seminoles uh, the last seven, eight, nine years. Um, and you don't often have the opportunity to put together a team that sort of gives you a little bit of a perfect storm with a veteran quarterback, um, a dynamic running back like Duke Johnson, a stable of receivers like Miami has, and a veteran offensive line. And um, those are a lot of moving parts that have come together here, Jim, and really give this team a chance to have a very successful season. However, you know, I think there were some, some question marks that came out of the the um, Florida Atlantic game on Friday that people still have. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about those here as the show continues. And um, once again, everyone's welcome to call in. The, the, the number is 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We have a wide open board for you, 50 lines, uh, plenty of room and time for everybody that wants to call in tonight and talk a little bit about the opener against Florida Atlantic and what they expect to happen uh, this Saturday against the Gators. But, um, you know, without question, Jim, um, like we were saying, this is an extremely big opportunity for the Hurricanes on Saturday. Gary, it really is, because as, as we all know, the Hurricanes have not been relevant nationally for almost a decade now. You win this game and you're instantly relevant in the big picture for the whole rest of the season if you just keep winning. Uh, you know, in a way, maybe you'd wish there'd be one more tune-up game like a Savannah State or something uh, to really get ready for the Gator, uh, as Walt Kaczewski used to call him. But on the other hand, I, I say, you know, let's get it on right now. Let's see where Miami is. This would be a great measuring stick. I'm not sure that they're 
quite there yet to play the physical toughness that you need to beat a, a good SEC team right now or to beat the Seminoles or to beat, say, a Clemson in the ACC championship game. But this game will let us know. Maybe they are. And if they are and you build that momentum, the way the schedule sets up, uh, that can be a, that'll be a huge game at Florida State in the middle of the season. And if you win this division, then you're either playing Florida State again or Clemson, whoever wins the game between the two of them for the ACC championship. And if you win that, you're right back home in the Orange Bowl game. Or, who knows? I mean, if you get really lucky, then you're in the Rose Bowl for the national championship. Well, the Hurricanes and, and Gators have played. This is going to be the 55th meeting in the series, and the Hurricanes have won 28 of them, and including six of the last seven, Jim, and seven of the last ten. And what what I was curious of, of asking you about, since you've been around so many of these games, is you know what do you think happened there that allowed Miami to take charge of this series um, in the 80s and, and, and Florida to fall so steeply before Urban Meyer came back? Well, the Gators went on probation there for a while. That was part of it uh, when – you know, Charlie Powell got fired, and they brought in Galen Hall, and they started to slip. They weren't quite getting the players they were. And, of course, Florida State was getting a ton of players under Bobby Bowden. That was their great heyday. And then, you know, with Howard Snellenberger turning the Hurricanes around in 1979 and 80 and setting the table for that 83 championship and then, you know, for the dynasty that they had for the next two decades – it did take the Gators a while to come back, and it took one of their former stars, you know, quarterback Steve Spurrier, to bring them back. By the way, if you want to go back in history, Steve Spurrier lost to the Hurricanes in a big game uh, 1966 when a guy named Ted Hendricks, the mad stork, uh, chased Spurrier all over the field at Gainesville, and the Hurricanes pulled a big upset that day, so... There's been a lot of great games over the years and in the rivalry, but I I think, you know, with Howard turning things around and getting a lot of great players and Miami having a lot of great coaching, I think that had a lot to do with, with Miami taking control of that series and maybe taking the games more passionately than Florida did since Florida's got, you know, the SEC and Florida State on their minds as well. I think that's a factor. Well, you know, a lot of mystery on what to expect from this Gator team this year. You know, um, they lost a lot of talent on, on defense. They have seven starters back on offense, led by uh, Jeff Driscoll, the quarterback, but just three starters back on a defense that only gave up 14 points a game a year ago. And, you know, obviously they, they dominated Toledo in the opener. Kirk Herbstreet on ESPN Game Day predicted them to, to lose their opener, um, which shows you what people around the country um, think about the vulnerability of this Florida team. But, you know, Florida was able to put a quality performance together and win. But um, still, I think a lot of question as to exactly what the Gators have in this 2013 team. And a lot of it was created by that loss to Louisville in the Sugar Bowl last year, which was a shocker. I mean, nobody really expected that. And you know, you're sitting there and you're ripping Louisville for playing a, a, a patty cake schedule and backing into the Sugar Bowl, and then they go to New Orleans and, and, and beat up on the Gators. And uh, Jim, I don't know if you were able 
uh, to watch that game. But, I mean, Florida just looked, um, to me, like they were totally disinterested in in being there. And to me, that casts a huge question mark on their entire season moving forward here this year. Well, yeah, Gary, I did watch that game, and that was a a stunning game. Obviously, Terry Bridgewater had a great game, and he's going to be in the Heisman talk all this year. Uh, no matter what, but uh, I wonder if that was coaching. If, if the the coach just well, didn't get that you know, team it, ready it's funny for because, that. You know, you may have a point, but you know, I think it's kind of funny because you know, you look back through hurricane history as well. Whenever the Hurricanes have gone to a bowl game where there weren't like really stakes in, involved in the game. They've shown a propensity like Florida did last year to throw a clunker out there, and um, I don't know if it's something that's in the water in the state of Florida or whatever. I, you know, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I would totally blame Will Muschamp uh, because there have been others before him with teams like Florida last year. Some of the past Miami teams, even with coaches like Jimmy Johnson, and um, who just couldn't get themselves ready to play bowl games. Yeah, that's true. I, I think for this week's game for the Hurricanes. They've got to play mistake-free ball, and they're going to have to be physical on defense. Uh, I think I saw some of that in, in the FAU game because I thought FAU was a physical team as well and, uh, and and better coach than we thought they would be and played better, I think, in general than we thought they would be. But I, the Hurricanes can't turn the ball over this week, and they've got to play physical to have a shot. Now, if, they, if the Canes jump out to a big lead early, and the crowd, you know, starts going berserk. Uh, who knows what might happen? And maybe this could be, you know, just what the Canes need to get back and be relevant in the national picture. That is Jim Martz, the editor of Cane Sport Magazine, canesport.com, talking Miami, Florida. And um, Jim, you know, hopefully these two teams will come out on Saturday put a great game together and, and give us yet another one for the history books or your next book that you write about the hurricane. <laughs> I guess we'll have to do another update. Maybe just write about that. One of the greatest rivalries that there's ever been and, uh, prod people to keep putting the pressure on to, to get the series going again. even if you have to play at neutral sites. All right, well, we thank you for joining us tonight on Kane Sport Live, and we'll uh, catch up with you other times during the season. Okay, great, Gary. Look forward to the game Saturday. All right, Jim, thank you. That was Jim Martz. He is the editor of Kane Sport Magazine, canesport.com. Goes way back covering the Canes and the Gators, and uh, like so many of us, Howard Schnellenberger, myself, and I'm sure many of you listening Tonight on Kane Sport Live, uh, very disappointed to see the possible end of this series. Let's talk more about that here on the show, as well as all your other issues at coming out of the opener and looking ahead towards the Gators. We have an open board now at 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. You're welcome to call in um, right now. Like I said, this is the 55th meeting um, of Miami and Florida, with, with the Hurricanes holding that slight 28 to 26 edge, but dominating the recent history of the game. And you know, Jim alluded to some of the reasons why the Gators uh, went through some tough times that coincided with Miami's you know rise to prominence in college football. Um, now, 
you know, what do we have here today in in, in 2013? Um, we have a Gator team that I guess is is trying to hold on uh, to its recent legacy. It has been struggling a little bit since the departure of Tim Tebow, who's been struggling a little bit himself, trying to land in the National Football League. Um, the Gators have recruited well. Their recruiting classes have been up near the top of college football in the, in the rivals rankings for the past several years. So they clearly, you know, have some decent players on this team. Um, but a couple of years ago really had a struggle, struggled for the entire season last year, kind of surprised a little bit and, and put together an 11 and two campaign. Um, but that loss to Louisville in the sugar bowl, uh, certainly put a damper on things. They, they come back this year, um, like I said, seven starters back on offense, led by Jeff Driscoll. He had 415 yards. I mean, they had 415 yards offense in their season opener against Toledo. I think the key for Miami this week is going to be stopping the run. Uh, I mean, without question, the passing game for Florida is considered their greatest weakness. And I think if Miami can stop the run and put Florida in, in obvious passing situations, that that's going to be Miami's best chance to win this ball game. I, I think, you know, while things aren't going to be easy for the Miami offense, that there's enough talent at the skill positions for the Hurricanes to score points. And if they can get out ahead, I think the Gators are going to have a hard time um, keeping up. And, and, and to me, you know, that's Miami's formula for success this Saturday. Um, giving you a little bit more information on the Gators, they ranked last in the SEC in passing last year. So the fact that Driscoll's coming back um, could be a positive, could be a negative, depending on the type of season that he has this year. He averaged just 137 uh, yards per game, struggled enormously reading defenses and knowing where to go with the ball. And he's also lost his favorite target from a year ago. Tight end Jordan Reed um, was their leading receiver. I would say receivers Quinton Dunbar and multi-purpose guy Trey Burton are the top receiving threats coming back this year. And sometimes they even like to put Burton at quarterback in sort of like a wildcat type of offense um, just to throw another wrinkle at opposing defenses. Um, I'll tell you, though, a greater threat uh, to Miami than Driscoll throwing the ball could be him tucking the ball under and running. He had um, 716 yards on scrambles last season and running quarterbacks have given Miami a tough time through the years for whatever reason. Um, so there's always the chance that that resurfaces here um, on Saturday afternoon with the Gator quarterback um, becoming a, a dual threat, both passing the football and even more so running it. Uh, their running back, Matt Jones, he didn't play in Saturday's opener due to a viral infection He's expected back in the starting lineup on Saturday. Um, he's a big punishing runner who averaged more than five yards a carry as a backup last year. And, but his backup, Mac Brown, played against Toledo and had 112 yards on 25 carries in a very workmanlike performance. Um, so, you know, the, the Gators are in decent shape at running back no matter how much Jones can play on Saturday. And my guess is you're going to see a lot of both of them with, with them alternating running backs. There are questions about Jones' stamina um, coming into this game since he has been suffering for several weeks with that viral infection. You're listening to Cane Sport Live on a Tuesday night, five days before the Miami Hurricanes and Florida Gators battle in Sun Life Stadium, a high noon showdown with huge stakes. I'd love to hear what you have to say about the game and last week's opener 
against Florida Atlantic. You can call right now at 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. A um, little bit of background on the Gator defense. Um, I mentioned they have three starters back um, from a unit that only gave up 14 points a game a year ago. But the one thing you have to look at is the entire second team returned with with several of those guys obviously now stepping into starting roles. And, um, you know, those are guys that played a lot of football last year. So even though they don't have a lot of starters, that doesn't mean that it's not a quality group um, that's going to line up uh, for the Gators on Saturday. And the defense is led by Dominic Easley. He's a big-time defensive tackle. Miami tried to recruit him at a high school, as did pretty much every other school in the country. He has not disappointed in Gainesville at all. Um, probably will be Miami's greatest challenge um, in terms of the offense facing the defense. And um, Miami's interior offensive line is going to have to control easily uh, if they're going to have success like they want uh, running the football. Um, the Gators have a decent secondary that can cover. Um, they have the capability to scheme with their secondary because of the cover skills of players led by cornerback Luchis Purifoy, who's probably the best player in that secondary, and safety Jalen Watkins. Both Purifoy and Watkins um, were both starters a year ago. Um, Dante Fowler is a very high-quality edge pass rusher. Ronald Powell um, at Sam Linebackers returning after a medical redshirt last year, but he played a lot of football the year before and is an extremely um, high-quality uh, linebacker. So the Gators have decent personnel on defense, but I still think that the Miami offense is going to put an enormous amount of pressure on them in this football game and that Miami will be able to find its way to points. And and the key, like I said, is going to be for the defense to get the Gators in those third down and long situations where maybe they can get them off the field and give more opportunities to the offense and get ahead on the scoreboard. Uh, that will not be uh, Florida's game, in my opinion. All right, we welcome you to call in now. It's 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We're going to go out to the 812 right now, and you are now on Kane Sport Live. Hello? Hello, you're on the air. Hey, uh, Gary, this is uh, Austin Osu, long-time subscriber. Hey, I was uh, wondering, uh, do you have any concerns about our offensive line uh, going into this game? They really seem to struggle moving the ball in short yardage situations against the FAU last week, and I kind of figured that would be our strongest unit and we'd dominate. And then I see uh, that monster easily uh, on Saturday, and, man, that guy uh, that, that guy blew the center right off the ball before it even got to the quarterback a couple times. What's your thoughts, man? Yeah, he's a mon. Well, you're you're right. I mean, easily is a monster. But you know, it's funny because I've been hearing this a lot the last couple of days. Um, a, a lot of focus on that offensive line, and even though you look at the stat sheet, and you know Miami had 300 yards rushing in that ball game, and you know Duke had a career night, and um, there were a lot of high quality moments um, for the offense in that game. But you know, I too did notice that there seemed to be. A little bit of a lack of an edge, maybe um, lack of consistency. Um, lack I, I of think intensity. We, yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Lack of intensity is is is, an, is another good word. And but I'm not going to put a whole lot of stock in that because you know it was the opener and you know it was FAU and 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 I think that 
you know, you can talk about taking one game at a time and, and, and talk about, you know, not overlooking an opponent. But come on. I mean, these are kids. They were overlooking FAU and looking ahead to the Florida game. We, You know, I mean, that's that's human nature and natural. And, and I think that, you know, that's why we maybe on the offensive side of the ball saw a little bit of a lack of focus and lack of intensity. And I'm going to throw something else out at you. I don't, I, I don't think that um, – I think the game plan – was pretty vanilla. I don't think James Coley was looking to show a lot of his key plays. I think when you look at the third down conversion ratios in that ball game, I think it was four out of 13 on third down, one out of four on fourth down. I think when you look at a lot of that, it, it could be attributed uh, to conservative play calling by James Coley, not really wanting to tip too much of his hand here in the, in the opener against Florida Atlantic. I think Miami will continue to get better in those areas as the season goes on. But there's no question that this team and offense isn't going anywhere if this offensive line doesn't come to play and play with intensity and consistency. So, you know, I think your point is extremely well taken. Yeah, it really kind of reminded me of some moments last year. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about tonight? Uh, No, really, that was about it. I mean, coming away from the game, the defense looked like they were uh, much improved because, uh, you know, like – Bethune Cookman even, you know, put up some points against Miami. So it looked like the defensive intensity had uh, picked up. And I guess uh, maybe all of us, uh, you know, just read too much in the preseason hype uh, about the offense. And, you know, I was really expecting to see, like, this, you know, offensive line just blow these guys over, man. Well, you know, I think the defense has a little bit more of a chip on its shoulder right now, and it doesn't matter who the opponent is. They have a lot to prove. I mean, let's remember, this was the worst defense, uh, or, or certainly one of the worst couple defenses in, in Division One football last year. So, uh, you know, those guys are coming into this season um, with a chip on their shoulder and, and, and have a lot to prove to you and me and, and everybody else out here. And, um, you know, that might be why they showed up a little bit better on opening night against FAU. So yeah, thank I you, certainly um, have to eat, eat crow about Casey Rogers. He sure looked uh, much improved the other night. Yes, he did. But you know, he's going to have to show it again uh, against higher quality competition. But yes, that was very promising. You know, there were whispers that he had been doing much better in practice and training camp. And I agree with you. Casey Rogers showed it in the opener. Uh, had a couple nice blitzes. Uh, they seem to like using him as a safety blitzer. I think we'll see more of that this week and as the season goes forward. And uh, got to be happy for Casey Rogers for hanging in there and sticking tough. Thanks a lot for calling tonight. Um, I hope to hear from you in, in future weeks. And now um, we're going to get ready to go out to the 850, but we welcome your calls at 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We have a wide open board for everybody to call in tonight on Kane Sport Live. And right now we are heading out to the 850, and you are on the air on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary, what's going on? It's uh, Rico, Rico Pub Kane. You with us? Yes, I'm with you. Hey, Gary, how you how's doing, it going? Rico? All right, it's Rico Tub Kane, long-time subscriber. How we're you doing, doing? We're doing good tonight. Fired up. Yes. Uh, Fired up for this game on Saturday, as I'm sure you you and everybody else are. Yes, I am. Um, i got a two-part question. All right, the first part, do you see – I saw a lot of intensity in the game. To me, I think they were playing down to the competition. First game, Jitters playing down to the competition. And this James, James Winston guy from Florida State, you think he's overhyped? Let you have it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I think that, you know, playing down to the competition certainly um, could be called an issue for the offense uh, for the reasons I stated. Um, I, obviously, you want to do well. You want to light up the scoreboard. But I think, you know, at the same time, it's hard to emotionally get up for a game that you expect to win so handily when you have such a huge challenge facing you a week later. And, and you know, I, I think that that's what happened uh, to the Hurricane offense. Um, Winston, boy, I mean, we'd heard the hype, and uh, he certainly didn't disappoint. I mean, 26 out of 28, I think one of the incompletions was um, a, a toenail call, whether it was inbounds or out of bounds on, on the sideline, and uh, I don't think he could have been more impressive. And, you know, it, it's funny, there was so much debate going on on the canesport.com message boards today about, about that Winston performance, and um, I'll tell you, it, it, it's, I think what it did show us is it's going to be game on uh, at the beginning of November when the Hurricanes have to go to Tallahassee because uh, this is not going to be a Florida State team uh, that's going to be down this year. I think that was pretty obvious. Uh, I think they showed up better than a lot of people thought they would. And um, Winston was a very big reason for that. And uh, coupled with the talent that they have on defense, I, I think without question, Florida State along with Clemson uh, is, is going to be a big-time competitor. Um, on that side of the ACC, and it's going to be up to Miami to do, take care of business and do its part on its side. But you know, first they're going to have to deal with that Florida State team in the regular season. And uh, yeah, Winston's a handful. Tim Tebow Redux. That's all I got to say. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, I mean that. You know, Tim Tebow um, might his, be his, a, his delivery is just kind of awkward to me. I think a good defense. I think. Just a good defense is over for that guy. That's what I think. Pittsburgh looked horrible last night. So yeah, they're not very good. They're, they they weren't a very good test for him. But at the same time, you're still talking about a redshirt freshman who's never played before, and to go out there against anybody, you know, even if it's uh, you know you and I and Flea and CD Wright and IOU and Ed Varkas and um, and Honey and everybody else on the message boards at Canesport out there defending. Uh, Going 26 of 28, almost 27 out of 28 is uh, still pretty darn impressive, and uh, you got to tip your hat to him. Yes, we do. All right, thanks, Gary. Take care, man. All right, yep. Thanks for calling. All right, we have an open board for your call: six four six five nine five two zero four eight six four six five nine five two zero four eight. You're welcome to call in and talk about any topic on your mind, whether it be the season opener against FAU or the game uh, coming up on Saturday against Florida. Uh, we talked a little bit about that Gator defense, and um, we had a chance to, to talk to James Coley, Miami's offensive coordinator, about the challenges that he sees in Florida and what he foresees for Saturday's game. Uh, let's take a listen right now. A very talented group, a uh, bunch of guys that uh, play really hard, uh, that are very uh, gifted, and uh, they play with a purpose, with an attitude, so you know, the challenge is set. You know, it's going to be a great challenge. It's going to be a great game. We'll talk about the excitement level going obviously to the players and fans as well. Absolutely. Whenever you have an in-state game uh, with, with a top-notch competitor like the University of Florida, you know, all the guys that will be there, coaches, the training staff, the strength room, everybody. Everybody's uh, geared up. You know, I'm sure it's like that everywhere. Uh, I'm sure up there in Gainesville, they're excited as well. What are your thoughts just sort of overall, big picture offense, how how it looks to you, FAU, basics-wise? Little things to tweak, big things to fix, anything like that? Yeah, you know, I think we can get better during third-down situations. You know, I don't I don't think we were sharp 
I think we need to tighten that up and from, from the coaching staff that starts with me and I got to do a better job with that. Uh, I think that uh, there was a lot of plays that we left out there. And let me say this, FAU played, you know, you saw their athleticism. They're going to be a great team in that conference. They were big, they were fast, and they played hard all four quarters. So, uh, but yeah, there's some execution deals that we have to tighten up. There's, there's stuff that we got to coach better. Uh, it's first game, you know, so, you know, you see a lot of potential. Would you rather see a big three series sort of return again? It's not annually, maybe like every other year or something like that. Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I think I think that's a great deal, especially in the state. You know, for for us three to play each other. You know, I think that'll be phenomenal. I think uh, I think everybody wants to see it. You know, I think uh, I think their players want to do it. You know, I think our players want to do it. You know, I think there's that respect with the two teams and and uh, and in recruiting and, and you know whether you pick Florida, or you pick you know Miami or you pick Florida State, you're going to those places because you want to play the other guy. You know, so. You know, I think that's a great deal instead of, you know, having to find an out-of-conference game, you know, with another conference, you know, way out west or way in the north or, hey, we got in our backyard. Let's play each other. How much does the success of, success of these games, you know, help in the recruiting process, you know, especially guys? Oh, they're all big. They're all big. You know, um, recruiting is, is uh, it's a big deal. And uh, when you're playing each other, you know, these games always end up, you know, being thrown out at the coffee table. Coach, uh, they only, I think they only brought back two starters or whatever on defense. Just what you saw of them Saturday in the film with Toledo, what impressed you and what they did? I saw a lot of five-star prospects. Okay, I saw a lot of players that were heavily recruited by everybody. You know, they may have lost some players to the NFL, but they didn't lose talent. Okay, Those are, that's the same group that's had the top recruiting classes the last several years, right? You know, they, they, they've been pretty good at reeling them in, so... You know, they got them, so, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a great game. That was James Coley, Miami's offensive coordinator, talking about Saturday's clash between the Hurricanes and the Gators. Uh, we're going to go back to the phone lines now, and you're welcome to call in 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We have an hour left of Kane Sport Live, and right now we're going to go out to the 305, and you are now live on Kane Sport Live. How you doing tonight? Hey, Gary. How you doing? Gary? Yes, good, sir. Good. Long time, long time subscriber. I have uh, two questions for you. One on defense. One on offense. Okay. First question on defense is Dion Bush. As you know, he's you know day to day. We don't know yet if he's going to be playing or not. But you know he likes to stick his nose in terms of tackling, and so how effective do you think he is, he, he will be if he's going to be able to play? Well, you know, I'm having a hard time figuring out what's going on with Deion Bush, to be totally honest with you. For for several days now, you know, we've, I, I guess, been being told that he's been cleared by the doctors and he's able to practice and, and potentially play, um, but it doesn't seem like he's maybe mentally ready to go back out there. You know, he's, he's had a little bit of a tough road he, with the shoulder problems, the hernia, and um, Deion Bush just might not be ready yet uh, to get back out on the football field and turn it loose. Might feel um, that he's not quite himself yet. Doesn't want to hurt his team. Um, but Al Golden seemed to have a sense of urgency about it today when we spoke to him and. You know, we asked him when could that decision be made, and he basically said it had to be made this afternoon, um, that if Deion Bush was going to play Saturday against the Gators, 
uh, he was going to have to be full go in practice tomorrow. Uh, so I guess we'll know more tomorrow. Um, it, it's not looking to me like he's going to play. I mean, I'm not saying that with any definitive uh, nature by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but he just didn't. It just didn't seem to me like he he's a kid that's ready to go out and, and mentally handle a Miami Florida game and and perform to his capabilities after missing so much practice time and um so I would not be surprised if he did not play on Saturday but we should know for sure tomorrow. Yeah, it would have definitely been better news if he played against SAU to at least acclimate himself to the game speed. Um the second question is on offense, and what I notice when you watch the top teams in the country play is a lot of commitment by the wide receivers uh, blocking down, you know, down the field for the running backs or for other receivers on, like, uh, screen passes. I don't see that a lot on our receivers. I see that sometimes. What, what can we do to fix that? I'll tell you, I'll disagree with you. I think this Miami receiving court it does a great job of blocking downfield. Um, I think Alan Hearns is an exceptionally good downfield blocker. I think Philip Dorsett has keep you know Philip Dorsett keeps getting better, um, better and better at it, and, and has made his mark on on many games uh, over the last year as, as a blocker. So you know, I mean, obviously we don't know much yet about Stacy Coley, but. Uh, you know he's a very very tough kid, and there's no reason why you know he shouldn't be a decent downfield blocker. You know Herb Waters, we haven't really seen too much of that from him one way or the other. Um, so I don't know that I agree with you on that one. I, I think Miami's receiving core um, is decent at blocking. I think there were some new things that they were doing on Friday night that they maybe their timing right on you know some of those blocks uh, off the quick hitches and things like that. that on, but um, all, I, I wouldn't call that a weakness. I, I think Miami's receivers uh, do a decent job of downfield blocking. Yeah, I think maybe I you know watched some games where I saw receivers on other teams take out one and two you know cornerbacks at a time, and I just wish I would see that. You know, I, I agree that Alan Hearns and Philip Dorsett are definitely great block blockers, but I just want to see that crushing block where they just level two two defenders at a time, so it frees up the wide receiver to go for more yards. So. I appreciate uh, you taking my call. Okay, apologies. We had a minor uh, technical problem there. Uh, we'll get back to your phone calls. Let's now go to the 954 and you are now on Kane Sport Live. What can we do for you tonight? Hey, Gary, how you doing? Uh, doing good. We went dark there for a few seconds, but uh, I think we got it back together. Yeah, I was saying hello there for about 30 seconds, and I thought it was me, <laughs> but uh, so, sorry, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> the wonders of modern-day yeah, technology. Actually, yeah, right. <laughs> well, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually up here at Florida State, but I'm a big Kane fan. I'm actually – I met you uh, – at tailgate here, I'm in your son's fraternity, and we got to talk a little bit about college football for a little bit. I don't know if you remember me. I was a, I was okay. a kid that was a Canes fan. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so I watched that game last night, and I got to I gotta hand it to him. You know, it kills me to say it. I'm a diehard Canes fan, but it kills me to say it. But FSU looked good, and Winston looks like the truth. And I think a lot of people on the board were saying how, you know, he's against Pitt, and they were playing soft coverage. But if you remember back against – 
Maryland, I think it was last year, our Stephen Morris's first start, and he looked nowhere near as impressive. And I think it just scares me a little bit. This year and going into next year, our future against FSU and specifically our our, our future at quarterback after Stephen Morris is gone. Well, We're you can say that about any team, though. You know, I mean, what what was uh, Florida State's future quarterback coming into this year? Now all of a sudden you got a, a redshirt freshman quarterback playing great, and now you the, the feeling in, in Tallahassee is the future is great at quarterback. So you know. You can have Kevin Olsen, you can have Kaya coming in, you can have Rozier coming in. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of competition at the quarterback position. Hey, even Ryan Williams has been doing better on the practice field and, and might have something to say in that competition, although I do think um, Olsen has to be considered the front runner uh, to win that job. So, you know, I don't think that, that you really can forecast um, wh- how things are going to go. Things are constantly changing in college football. Yeah. Uh, with recruiting and God, the way the hurricanes are bringing in, ta- bringing in talent now um, with guys, you know, joining the team, even a week into training camp, it's, it's being run like an NFL franchise. So you don't ever know with transfers and things like that, who's going to end up on a roster. Uh, and you certainly, you can't project a month in advance right now, much less a year, two years, three years. So uh, I don't see that as an yeah. issue at the moment. The, you know, the, the hurricanes certainly have, um, uh, much bigger fish to fry here in the coming days and weeks, and it starts on Saturday with Florida. So you think uh, you think Olsen's going to be the starter come next year? I mean, I would think he'd have to be the favorite right now. You know, since he's there, he's learning the offense. Um, he'll, I would think he would have the upper hand over those guys coming in, um, unless they they shape up, you know, to, to be sensational as true freshmen. Um, but I think you'd have to make Olsen the favorite right now. Okay, okay. All right, anything uh, else tonight? I was going to just going to touch on, do you, do you see Alex Figueroa starting and over the course I, of the season? you see him earning a starting spot? I do. I uh, I think he's he, he's probably the most physically talented linebacker on the roster. I, but I do think it's going to take him some time to, to get his feet wet in, in the college game and, and, and learn what he's doing. Remember, this is a kid that hasn't played a lot of football the last couple of years. Uh, so, yeah. you know, he, he he needs to be worked in slowly, um, needs to stay in his playbook, uh, eliminate a lot of the mental mistakes that he's been making on the practice field uh, that give the coaches hesitation to put him out there as a starter. And um, in addition to that, you know, you have guys like Armbrister who have been playing pretty darn good football. Um, and, and I thought yeah. he played pretty well against the FAU the other night. So, um, you know, I, there's no rush. I, I think that, that he'll play a lot. I, I think that the more he proves to the coaches that they can count on him, uh, the more reps he'll get. Okay. All right, thanks for calling right. tonight. Appreciate it, Gary. Have a good one. All right. You're listening to Kane Sport Live. We have a, a, a wide-open line, um, a wide-open board, rather, at 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. We welcome your calls, and right now we're going to go out to the 404, uh, where you are now on Kane Sport Live. Yeah, how you doing, man? Doing good. How you doing? Quick question, what can we do man. For what you? Um, Gus Edwards, do you think he is going to get more carries this week? You know, being that he's a a, a bigger physical back, he looked pretty good uh, in the first game. That's the first question I want to get an answer from. Get your opinion on that. 
I loved the way that Gus Edwards looked in in that brief stint he had the other night. Um, he looks to me like a kid that 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 could be Miami's solution to that power running game that I've been talking mm-hmm. about. That I've been, you know, it's something that's a huge concern of mine. Uh, when you got third and one, third and two, fourth and one, who's going to get those tough yards? Where's your big mm-hmm. back? Well, you know, there isn't a proven big back uh, on on the roster right now and and I think that that's a role that Gus Edwards can play uh but I do think he's going to need some time to evolve into that role you know he you saw him come up short uh once or twice the other night and I I think part of the reason it is it's very easily corrected is that he was running too high and 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 was allowing mm-hmm. himself to be tackled and um you know I I think that once he learns to run lower, and I don't know if you remember back when Don Solinger was the running backs coach at Miami, the, he used to mm-hmm. almost, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I would call it like a limbo uh, type of deal, but he, he would work with these guys on, on running low to the ground um, in those short yardage situations. And I, I think that's something that the Miami coaches are going to have to do with Gus Edwards and, and teach him to get low in those short yarded situations uh, so that he can't be tackled up high. But I, you know, beyond that, I, I thought he showed, you know, some, some nice skills. I thought he handled himself great for a true freshman playing his first game. Uh, and I mm-hmm. think there's a lot to look forward to with Gus Edwards. Mm-hmm. And I just have a couple other questions. Do you think that the, the team, where you think Coley will use a, a, the two tight end set with, with, with Sandlin and with uh, Clive? I mean, I think that would be pretty strong if you could, you know, have two, two, two tight ends set up, you know, and then that'll open up the run, and then and then possibly go a little bit more to the uh, the tight ends. Uh, yeah, I do. I, I really do. Um, you know, I, I I think they just scratched the surface the other night of some of the things that they'll be able to do offensively and want to do offensively. Uh, I don't think they recruited Bo Sandlin to sit over on the bench. Uh, I, I think he has things and skills that that can bring a lot to this offense. And um, I think we will see him in the game more. I think we'll see two tight end sets um, because I don't think you could just sit uh, Clive Walford aside. Yeah. I mean, you saw uh, how well he played the other night. I I thought that touchdown play was sensational. Uh, Great throw by Morris, but also a great catch in traffic by Clive. And I'm a big Clive Walford fan. And so, you know, you combine Walford um, with Sandlin and, and, and then, um, Factor in a little bit of Asante Cleveland and a little bit of Standish Dobart at times, you know, probably not significant moments, but in in mop up times, getting his feet wet a little mm-hmm. bit. I think the tight end position's in pretty good shape for this year, assuming everybody stays healthy. Okay. One and one last question: Do you think it will be an advantage going into this game, especially rotating D line out when I'm on? You know, rotating like I mean, of course, you know, keeping keeping the porter. And, and Olsen and, you know, getting the Jelani to get some time and getting that other kid from Virginia to keep these guys fresh because, you know, since it's a new kickoff, it's going to be hot. A lot of guys are going to be cramping up just to keep them fresh for, you know, third and fourth quarter. Do you think there's going to be a lot of rotation or do you think that front four is pretty much going to go into our game? Well, you know, I, I think there is going to be a lot of rotation and, um, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I think sometimes they rotate too much. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, when you're out there for a series and come off, out there for a series, come off, you know, you sometimes don't get into a rhythm in the football game and, and things like that. At the same time, that there are benefits to having fresh legs in there at all times. And, and I think that 
Um, Al Golden's a big believer in rotations and, and keeping guys fresh and, and playing a lot of guys. Um, my concern for a couple of years now has been the difficulty in getting so many guys ready to play a game uh, from a mental standpoint. And, and mental busts were a huge issue for this defense last year. And I just don't know, you know, I, I didn't get, I didn't count the exact number. Um, I'll see if I can get it in front of me here as we're talking, but um, of guys that played on the, the defensive side of the ball um, the other night, but, you know, and obviously, um, well, my chart's not broken down by uh, offense, defense, so I'd have to take a moment to count them, but I'm sure they played 26 or so, 27 guys the other night um, in that game. And, and there were many times last year during the season where they also played, you know, guys well into the twenties in numbers. And the, the, the thing that I personally wonder about is can you get that many guys ready to play a big football game from a mental standpoint? And, you know, maybe the propensity for mental bust that killed this defense so much last year could be partially attributed to that. So, so it's going to be interesting to me to just see how uh, Mark D'Onofrio chooses to go here with this season, um, how DP goes into his rotations. Um, obviously, on the defensive line, especially with those big guys at tackle, and I guess when you look at the, the, the ends and the way they're using them as well, you know, you're going to probably have a, a good eight to ten guys rotating on the defensive line um, through ball games. But I'm almost also going to be interested to see what the rotations look like at linebacker and in the secondary as, as well this year. Um, I'd like to see them tighten up those rotations a little bit. I'm not convinced that Miami has, as the roster exists today, um, has enough impact players. Um, to justify how much substituting they're doing at times, especially when you get into these marquee ball games, uh, that's just my opinion. I have no idea what what the coaches are thinking in that regard, and no idea how they're going to handle it. Um, so we're just going to have to see. Okay. So the last thing I want to tell you, man, you do a great job. You're extremely informative, and it's great just to. I'm up. I'm here in, in, in the Atlanta area. It's just good to just you know hear Kane's talk, and it's starting to really trickle everywhere, man. Everybody. People are all, all over the country, you know, are the Canes back, are the Canes back. So I really think this is a super important game to to, to win, just to, just to you know, to, 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 to get the entire nation, to, you know, everybody to say, okay, the Canes are back. You know, I know it's just one game, but still it's an incredibly important game, you know, for the team to, you know, to win, not, not, not to come close, but just win. I think it's important. So, but you, you do a great job, man. Well, you know, just want you to know we appreciate you and, and, and all you guys that subscribe to Cane uh, Sport Magazine and CaneSport.com. And uh, thanks for calling tonight. You know, he, he mentioned the importance of this game. And, you know, it's funny because it's not a conference game. If, if Miami were to lose on Saturday in the big picture, not an enormous deal. I don't think anybody thinks that this is a national championship contender this year. Um, but all that aside, it is an enormous game because um, – this Al Golden staff and Al Golden himself, you, you know, could really benefit from that validation of winning a ball game like this. Um, the Hurricanes badly need to be relevant again on the national scene. This will accomplish that, and it'll accomplish it in the state of Florida too. So, you know, huge, huge game on Saturday, and um, you know, I'm like everybody else, very excited to see exactly how the Hurricanes show up. Okay, we have room for more calls, 646-595-2048, 646 595 
888-528-2048. we got about 43 minutes of show left. And right now, we are going to go to the 850, and you are now with us on Chain Sport Live. Hello? Hello? Yeah, I think you're trying to listen to your computer and the phone at the same time. <laughs> yeah, but we're with you. Down. Who's yeah, this? Okay. Uh, this is Robert, man, from uh, Tallahassee. How you doing, Robert? Hey, doing good, man. Hey, I, I, I'm a long-time listener, a long-time fan, man. I've been a Hurricane fan, man, my whole life. Man, but you must not be able to stand it up there in Tallahassee right now with all this winds. Oh, man, night. I love it, man. I love being up there in, behind enemy lines. I love it. Yeah, but but can you? I mean, you can't walk around Tallahassee today without people talking about Winston. Yeah, but you know what I did, and you know one thing that I, I brought to their attention when they spoke to me about James Winston was uh, Logan Thomas. We played Logan Thomas last, uh, two years ago, 2011. He was 23 for 25, 310 yards, three touchdowns, ran for two touchdowns on us. It, it was a good game. He had a good game. It was impressive. It, it, it's hard to go out and complete that many passes, but I've seen them before, and that doesn't determine your career. It's, it was a good game, and you have to appreciate a good game, but you can't let that get you too high or too low. And right now they're feeling really good, and that allows for complacency to set in to me. That, that's just to me. Um. The question I had about the Canes was, in terms of, like you were just stating, the offensive, not not necessarily with the defense, but with the offensive line and the substitution with the offensive line. Last year when we had so much success with the offensive line, it was Central, Linder, McDermott, Feliciano, and Bunch, and then we would sub in uh, Eric Flowers. We've changed this year to where Feliciano is the starting right tackle, Bunch is the left guard, and Eric Flowers is the starting left tackle. And we're doing a lot of rotating. How do you feel in terms of an offensive line being able to get together as a unit uh, with that consistent rotation, rotating Central in, rotating uh, Gladys in? I, I think that can kind of cause some problems. And consistency, like you say, in terms of short term, I, I think Feliciano might be our best guard to me. Him and Linder, of course, Linder is, is solid. But, I mean, that other guy, I really would feel more comfortable. And with him being so tall, that that seems like it would be hard for a quarterback to throw with that type of guard in front of him. What do you think? Um, I, I think you're making a legitimate point. I, I think that maybe some of those growing pains were responsible for some of the uneven play that we saw on Friday night, even against the FAU. Um but at the same time, you know, I think it's important that they have guys that are capable of moving around, that you have some flexibility in your offensive line uh, to prepare for the moments when you inevitably will have an injury that will sideline somebody um, or make them come out of a ball game. Uh, so there's Correct. a couple different ways to look at it. I, let, let me say this. It, when you look back at Art Kehoe's history as an offensive line coach, um, going back many, many years, he always liked to have his five guys, maybe like a sixth guy that could rotate in, and he would just let them play. You know, and there was wasn't a, a lot of rotation and, and things like that. And I think that a, a big – well, you know, I think a lot of the reason for that um, was he, he felt strongly that those guys needed to be a cohesive unit 
and and get used to playing with each other and, and really know what's going on play after play after play. Um, that kind of goes against the Al Golden philosophy, which is rotate everywhere, keep everybody competing, um, get everybody involved in the ball game so you have an interested football team and, and not a top-heavy football team. And, you know, there's probably nothing wrong with that at well as well, and it'll especially be the case when it's proven to work. Um, but, you know, I mentioned earlier a concern of mine as I've watched this team evolve has been over-rotating. Um, right. And if you, if you wanted to make an argument, uh, offensive line would certainly be a place to look at that. But they're not rotating as much on the offensive line right now as they are on the defensive line. Right, right. Like with that uh, third-down unit that came in, um, I think they got some pressure, but with the addition of Gilbert, and to me the most pressure that we got, or, or the most effective pressure, was with the three-down linemen on third and long when it was uh, Porter, uh, Chicklow, and uh, Olsen Pierre. Like, they did a good job of being able to get pressure while still being able to maintain coverage. You know, I, I, I understand and I appreciate how they're trying to build up. And like you say, it is it, not proven yet, and we hope for a win like this to show that it is the right way to go to where you're not top-heavy, and if you do get an injury, it doesn't necessarily stop the team. But it also can come to a point to where it's kind of hindering the team and not really allowing us to be a cohesive unit at, at certain times when it's when it's kind of, kind of paramount. Another question I had was, in reference to the receiving core and the lack of playing time for Malcolm Lewis, and to me, not really focusing on getting the ball to her waters. I like Alan Hearns, so it's said it's extremely fast, and you can tell Stacey Coley has talent. But her waters to me seems like he is ready to kind of take the next step from last year to this year. It, it just seems like he's going to be a difference maker if we just get him the ball with his hands. He seems like a, a person who's thirsty to get to the end zone. Well, yeah, I think they're all going to, they're all good and they're all going to have their moments, uh, every single one of them. And, um, you know, Malcolm Lewis right now is, is still working back from that horrible injury last year. Um, he's doing well, you know, he's moving around good, but I, I would say he's, he's not as far along as those other four guys, uh, that were getting the majority of the reps and, um, that's okay. You know, I, I think that Malcolm Lewis will have his chances as the season goes forward. Um, and I think he just has to be patient. I think the, the, his fans um, have to be patient as well. Um, thank you so much for calling. Um, we're going we're gonna to move on here on Kane Sport Live. Uh, we still have room for more calls. We've got 30, about 36 minutes of show left. Uh, you can call in at 646-595-2048. 646 and now we are going to head out to the 404, where you are now on Kane Sport Live. Hello? Okay, we got a drop call there, so let's head on out to the 954 now. And you are now on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary, how you doing, pal? Doing good. How you doing? Who's this? Doing well, thanks. This is Blake. I'm a Pirello subscriber to Kane Sport for a while, but... Question for you. What do you think of, I mean, just two real quick ones. I mean, I just I felt like Stephen Morris, I don't know if it was disinterested or 
kind of looking ahead. And then what about Coley dropping those two passes? Are you going to be one of those kids that you can't rely on them when it when the lights come on? I don't know. Let me know. Thanks, bud. All right. Well, um, you know, let's take Stephen Morris first. And um, disinterested? You know, no, I don't. I don't know that I would say he was disinterested. Um, yeah, I think it's first ball game. I think that you know clearly it would be understood. Not a, well. I don't want to use the word understandable because it's never understandable. Coaches try so hard to get their players not to look ahead. Uh, but come on, you're opening against an FAU team that you're supposed to beat by 30 plus points, and you got the Florida Gators coming in the next week. And everybody in the world is, is you know, touting the skater game. And, um, you know, so it, it was a tough, tough chore for those kids. And, um, you know, I, I think Stephen Morris will obviously be fine. Um, Stacey Coley, I think that was a total aberration. I, I think that um, that he has done a phenomenal job throughout training camp catching the football. He, he is a sure-handed kid. He's an explosive receiver, which is why you see him out there so much as a true freshman. I think uh, – Stacy Coley is going to be just fine. And in fact, uh, we had a chance to talk to him a little bit today about that opening uh, game. And I, I think you'll enjoy hearing what he had to say about his struggles against FAU. So I'm going to play that right now. And um, before I do, once again, um, you're welcome to call in. The, the number is 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. Uh, we still have 34 minutes of show left, uh, plenty of time to take your calls. So feel free to call in as you listen to Stacy Coley. My first game was a big, um, big game for me. I'm nervous a little bit, so that's why I had um, a few mistakes. But now I'm just ready, and now, now I know the tempo of the um, college experience, so now I'm ready. Stacy, Stephen and Allen, you know, I, I saw them go up to you on the sideline, you know, give you some uh, some words of uh, encouragement. How much does that mean to you to have those seniors uh, come up to you and tell you, hey, don't worry about it? And, um, that means a lot, man. Being a freshman in, in, a, in a big game in a big stadium, uh, for us freshmen, we got we got we need that that type of um, confidence. And I like when, when something go wrong, we need them veterans to come in and just tell us to stay home and just stay positive, and everything gonna be all right. Rashawn is obviously gonna be out this week, and just how you guys have to step up as a unit, being one man short than you were before. Um, basically, we, we just gotta keep playing our game. Um, one down, one person down, so we just gotta step, step forward and, and just just play as one. What did you like about what you did in your first game? Um, just, just like I said, the drop passes. Um, usually people go, go in their comfort zone, but me, I just stay humble and just stay positive and just kept going, just push forward. What was it like when you tell us, through what was going through inside you when the, you know, the, the first drop, the second drop, you know, how nerve-wracking was it? Oh, man, that, that was nerve-wracking. Um, it, 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 it just happened so fast. Um, the defense, like, spread it open so fast. So I'm like, wow, where everybody at? And then it was just a world my, myself. So, yeah, so I just got to pick that back up and, and just keep going forward. How confident are you that, you know, you can put that behind you and, you know, the, the you know, team's going to need you this week? How confident are you that? Oh, I'm you real confident. Just like I said, the, the veterans just keep me humble and, and just keep me focused and, and just tell me to go out there and, and just have fun. What did the coach tell you? Um, he just told me to just stay positive and just keep everything behind me and everything will work out in your favor. What did Coach Golden tell you specifically? He, he told me the same thing. He just said that, that just, that's just behind you and just play like you always do. You didn't drop many balls in high school. I remember seeing you. Like, how long had it been since you dropped two, two balls in the same game? Oh, man, that was a long time. Probably my sophomore year. So that, that was a long time. Like I said, I just keep pushing push forward and just hopefully everything works in my favor. That was Miami receiver Stacy Coley talking about his 
frustrating opener against Florida Atlantic the other day, and uh, I think you're going to see better things from Stacey Coley moving forward. I'm, I'm relatively sure of it. Um, call in 646-595-2048, 646-595-2048. Uh, we still got a half hour to take your calls, and right now we're going to go out to the uh, 404 where um, you are now on Kane Sport Live. Hello? You're on the air. Okay, obviously uh, got distracted doing something else at the moment. Uh, feel free to call back um, if you hear us. 646-595-2048 is the number. And as always, this past couple days, we asked you guys on the canesport.com message boards to identify some of the topics that you'd like to hear discussed on uh, tonight's show. Uh, so we'll try to get to some of those here um, as we continue onward. Uh, the first one, there were questions about the defensive line um, matchups in this game. Can the Miami offensive line get pushed and clog up holes and, and keep easily from having a monster game? Um, I would say, obviously, that's you know the key to the ball game. The Hurricanes have to be able to control the football, uh, have to be able to run the ball. Duke Johnson must be able to have a major impact on this game for Miami to win. But it should be a good matchup for the Hurricanes with that veteran offensive line matching up against the Gator defense. And uh, you have quality offensive lines, and you spend a couple years building quality offensive lines uh, for games like this. And um, hopefully that Miami offensive line will show up and play to their capabilities on Saturday. Okay, we're going to go out to the 239 right now. The 239, you are now on Kane Sport Live. Hello. Hello. Go ahead. Oh, hey, how you guys doing? Doing good. Who's um, this? I was more – this is Carlos in Cape Coral, Florida. Hello, Carlos. Hello, hey, how you doing? I, I was more excited for this game about a week ago. I mean – what people are not talking about against the FAU team, I mean, honestly, if Stacy Coley, you know, he makes those two catches, we win 56 or whatever to, to, to six, and everybody would have been jumping up and down. I don't like that we lost Scott, our second-best receiver. Stacy Coley dropped two passes. And what a lot of people are not talking about is that that offensive line, when it was like fourth down, you know, a couple – they were getting pushed around for being the the strong unit of the team. I didn't, I didn't like at all how they looked. I mean, against an FAU defense, they were getting really pushed around. I mean, fourth and one, they didn't even get that. I was like, come on, man. You know, I'm excited for the game, but I'm 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 concerned in some areas. Yeah, justifiably, I think. You know, smash mouth football, really, I can't remember it ever being Miami's game. You know, Miami's always had finesse offensive lines that found ways to play high-quality football and, and make an impact both running and in pass protection. But – um, the smash mouth game has never suited Miami well, and, and short yardage has always been, uh, oftentimes an issue uh, for this football program, and certainly for this current football team. So I wasn't really all that surprised that it, that they struggled a little bit with it, uh, even against an FAU, because it's one of the things that I certainly have identified myself as one of the weaknesses or potential weaknesses of this team, and um, I, I think that. 
in addition to the question of how the offensive line will hold up in those short yardage situations, is the question of who the short yardage running back is on this team. Um, I hope it's going to be Gus Edwards. I think he's the one with the size that's best equipped to handle that role. I don't like Crawford or Clements uh, in those short yardage situations, even though Clements has a lot of experience doing it. Um, I, I prefer to have the bigger back and, and see the bigger back doing it. Uh, so we'll see how that develops here. But without question, I think you're very justified in, in being concerned about that and, and identifying it as an issue for this team. Why, why, how come I'll go and then try to challenge the obvious touchdown by Gus at the end? That confused me because that was an obvious touchdown. How come he didn't even try to challenge it? Yeah, they they probably should have challenged it. You know, I, th- I thought it was an obvious touchdown too. Um why they didn't challenge it at that moment, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure why the officials didn't themselves choose to take a look. Um, but you know, hopefully, if something like that comes up again down the road, uh, they will they will challenge it. Did you have anything else for tonight? Okay, um, he's hung up. Let's go out now to the seven seven zero, where you are now on Kane Sport Live. Can, what can we do for you tonight? Hello? Yeah, is it seven seven oh eight seven five seven five zero four? That's you, man. That's yeah. you. You are on the air. Well, I was just, you know, kinda of concerned also like what the last caller said. The offensive line wasn't, you know, being aggressive and they were being pushed around and also too I thought, you know, that uh they could have, you know, challenged that, that uh touchdown that Gus Edwards scored on and the defense, they look pretty good jumping on the defensive side of the ball. They look pretty good, but, too, they, uh, FAU was able to drive down the field a couple of times. They made a uh, – the linebacker, Herman, he made some um, big mistakes with those two penalties. That kind of hurt us. But uh, overall, I thought they did pretty well. Yeah, I think the defense has a lot to prove. And like I said earlier in the show, I, I think that's why you saw – that side of the football come out with a little bit more of a sense of urgency uh, in the opener than than maybe the offensive side of the football uh, where there might have been a little bit more looking ahead, a little bit more complacency. Uh, but we'll know more after this week. I, I think everybody's going to be tested in this ball game, obviously, and um, we're going to come out of it with with a much greater understanding of of where the the pluses and the minuses are right now uh, with this Hurricane team. So what's the status on uh, Rashawn Scott? Is he done for the year, or what's the status? They have not said that he's done for the year. Um, He has a a, a shoulder issue. Uh, Not sure whether it's a separation or or, or broken uh, or or a fracture. Uh, They don't really, for privacy reasons, give an enormous amount of information on injuries. Uh, They, you know, coaches typically prefer to keep those that information more closely guarded. Um, but he's not going to play this week. And uh, and then as they continue to evaluate the different options and do more diagnosis and treatment, I think then we'll get a better idea um, for, you know, how much he'll be able to play as the season goes forward or not play. So who do you think uh, step steps up in his absence? Well, you know, I think, you know, Malcolm Lewis could start to play a little bit more. I mean, I, I, I certainly think Stacey Coley is going to play quite a bit. Um, I think you're going to see Philip Dorsett take on a much greater role than he had in the opener. Um, Herb Waters, you know, obviously, Alan Hearns. So, I mean, there, there's still plenty of quality players there 
at that receiver position uh, to carry carry the load moving forward. And I, I think you know that you also have flexibility with your tight ends and can use them a little bit more sometimes. Um, maybe run more plays with two wide receivers if those guys need a little bit of a blow. So Miami's still in fine shape at the receiver position. Um, I don't think there's any concerns there right now. Okay. Yeah, going back to the uh, my first concern with the offensive line being pushed around, what about like on some of those short downage you know, situations, whereas they could possibly go with a, a two-tight end set? Oh, you know, you'll definitely see that, to... and they did. They did use two tight ends at times in those situations. I think sometimes you might even see three. You might even see three tight ends at, at certain times. Uh, but like I talked about a few minutes ago, it's definitely uh, going to be a, a continued issue um, going forward, and 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 something that we're going to have to to, to monitor um, as the season progresses. I'm going to let you go right now because we've got a special guest on the line. Um, a guy that I hold very near and dear to my heart and, and miss an enormous amount, uh, Lamar Thomas, my former sidekick on the Kane Sport Radio Show and now coaching receivers up at Western Kentucky, a guy that grew up in Gainesville and had the wisdom to turn his nose up at the Florida Gators and decide to become a Miami Hurricane. Lamar, how you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How you guys doing? Oh, we 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 miss you down here. It's not, you know, how do you have a big game against the Gators with with Lamar in Kentucky? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, at some point you gotta you gotta move on and you gotta get a job and and uh, you know eventually just grow. I mean, that's what it's all about. But uh, you know, uh, it felt good being the SEC team last week. So I hope that my Hurricanes can do the same thing. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. You know, for those that don't know, you're up there coaching with Bobby Petrino at Western Kentucky. You're the receivers coach, building your career uh, as a college football assistant. Uh, I know, hoping one day, possibly, and I'm assuming Coach Petrino is not listening to our show tonight, so I will go out on the limb and say that there is a day that you would love to come back to Coral Gables and be an assistant coach on this Miami Hurricane staff. Um, But, yeah, you you guys had a really nice start uh, to your season uh, last week. Yeah, we did. We you know we played uh, the Kentucky Wildcats in Nashville, and uh, we basically just dominated it. Um, you know, Coach Petrino, uh, uh, this is the most football I've ever learned in my life. Uh, he's a very bright coach, uh, very knowledgeable, and uh, you know, for us as coaches, he pushes us every day to be better. And, and in return, we we bring that pressure to the players to understand that. Uh, you know, and especially in practice, uh, give it your all and give 100% because Saturday, Saturdays will be easier. But, you know, I, like I said, I, I've learned a lot of footballing. And, yes, you know, I, I did come into this whole thing, this whole coaching journey, thinking that, oh, I wanted to be the wide receiver coach at the University of Miami. But being around Coach Petrino and uh, all that he has to offer as far as knowledge, you know, you, you kind of look at things a lot differently and kind of set your goals even higher. And uh, what he's grooming us to be, all the guys on his staff, we have a young staff, he's grooming us all to be head coaches. And, um, you know, so we're learning a lot about not just offense, not just defense, but the whole uh, package. And uh, he's making us all better and well-rounded coaches. 
Well, you know, obviously, we, you know, nobody has any idea what the future holds, but I don't. I think there's one thing that is definitely not in question, and that is that Bobby Petrino is a head coach that's going to be on the ascent again in college football once once he gets, the, you know, his feet back wet there at Western Kentucky, right. and um, you know, went through some unfortunate things, um, but. I'm sure he's getting his life back together and, and certainly has a quality team there at Western Kentucky with you on the coaching staff and uh, can't be anything but bright things ahead for all you guys there. Um, let's uh, shift gears here now and, and talk a little bit about a young Lamar Thomas growing up in the, 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 the town that used to be called Gainesville that you know you so aptly renamed Canesville. And uh, talk a little bit about what that was like for you growing up in 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 Gainesville, and what made you decide to leave there and come to University of Miami? Well, you know, I actually grew up in Ocala, and uh, that's about 40 minutes from, from Gainesville, and I went to high school at Gainesville View Host. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of Canes fans might not want to hear this, but I was a huge Gator fan growing up and uh, thought the world of the program. But when it came time for me to make my decision, a couple of things were definitely in Miami's favor. The fact that, you know, um, I love the city of Miami. It was a lot different than what I was used to growing up in Ocala and Gainesville. I liked the small school that University of Miami had. Um, I loved the fact that uh, they, the receivers caught the football. And as you well remember at the time, uh, University of Florida had this guy named Emmett Smith who who uh, garnered, the, you know, the football a lot. And, um, you know, I, I had to make a business decision, a decision that wasn't a popular decision there at the time, but it was the best decision I thought for me. I wanted to 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 make plays and win national championships, and I felt like I had a better opportunity to do that in Miami, and, and it all came true. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I was trying to remember how, how many – games against the Gators did you have the opportunity to play in? Not one. They took us off Not the one, schedule. right? They, yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. They, yeah. You came in that stage where, where they didn't play at all. Um, Eight, how disappointing was the last year. Yeah, how disappointing was, was that you, Lamar? I was very disappointed, especially, uh, you know, I wanted to get my chance. Uh, I wanted to, you know, when, when I left Gainesville, there was a lot of bad things written, um, you know, spoiled brats, as I would say. And wrote a lot of bad things about me, and and I wanted to get my opportunity to uh, give it to him, and I never got my opportunity. But you know, I, I was uh, in Gainesville. I, I forget what year that was, but Mo Mo Sykes got an interception and took it all the way, and he was wearing number thirty six. So it made me feel like it was me. And uh, <laughs> that day, I think Miami 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 crushed the Florida Gators on uh, was it? I, I think it's Ben Hill Griffin Stadium or Florida Field, or I don't know what it's called, but. That was a great day for me. Well, you know, as as you know, the two teams are playing on Saturday at, at, at Sun Life, and, and it's looking like it might be the last regular season meeting of these two programs uh, for quite some time. I mean, no more games are on the schedule. Uh, Jeremy Foldy, right. the Florida athletic director, is not showing any inclination whatsoever to change that situation. Um, I guess – you know, from your standpoint, you never got to play the Gators, so you know it might be a little bit different. Um, so I don't know what your opinion will be on this subject, but does it seem right to you um, that in a state like Florida, and, and you know you played here, and, you know, now you're recruiting here, you and, and does it seem right to you that 
Florida and Miami don't play in football? Well, to be honest with you, uh, you know, when they first took us off schedule, I th- it wasn't right because there was just a big three in the state of Florida. You know, it's Florida, Florida State, uh, and Miami. But now there are other teams that are sending USF and, you know, um, you know these teams are, are, you know, they're, they're getting players and, and, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. And, and, you know, the conferences now are, are, are becoming much stronger you know, the ACC analysis and the SEC. And, you know, it's just it, unfortunately for, for the fans who who care about these games, these rivalry games much more than, than, than the players, it's it, it's going to go by the wayside. I mean, it's just the way it is. But we have our rivalry, Miami, it's with Florida State. They've never shied away from us, and we've never shied away from, us, from them. And uh, it, it's going to continue to go on. And for those Gators, you know, who uh, are a bunch of crybabies most of the time. Um, you know, it, it, it'll be what it is. You know, they can continue to play their games and we can continue to play ours. It's just, uh, you know, it's just it's unfortunate, but, you know, money always seems to uh, rear its evil head to the top. Yeah, it really does. Um, we're joined by Lamar Thomas here on uh Kane Sport Live and Lamar. I know you you have coaching duties still awaiting you tonight, but I did want to ask you um, since I know you've spent some time recruiting in the state of Florida, and it, it seems now that more and more schools are getting back to coming here. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that Miami's down cycle that has extended nine or ten years has um, created a little bit of an opening in people's minds right. to to get deeper into Florida and especially in the southern part of the state and, and go head-to-head with the Hurricanes in recruiting. And I know at Western Kentucky, that's not necessarily the case. You're not necessarily recruiting the same exact guys. Uh, but what have your observations been about recruiting in the state of Florida, uh, particularly as it pertains to Miami and other schools around the country coming into South Florida to recruit? Well, you know, it, it, you're right. Uh, those down years, a lot of schools were able to come in and make a, a comfortable home, and you see a lot of great players who've gone off and done some great things as, and, and, as other programs. But I, I really like what I've seen with uh, Coach Golden and those guys have done on the road this year and the last two years, um, you know, really going after some, some guys. Uh, and, and I think they're doing a, a good job. Um, you know, they've, they've been aggressive this year and got some really good players to commit, uh, so they're, they're really, t- they've, they've turned it up, uh, you know, but that also comes with people feeling comfortable with the program again, and not saying they didn't before, but I think that, you know, things are starting to settle down, and people are starting to get sold on, on, on the team and, and the program, and, and most importantly, Coach Golden, and, um, you know, once that happens, uh, a lot of South Florida kids will start feeling more comfortable about staying home, and and uh, maybe the program will continue to to get better, and that's what it's all about. You want to try to get those 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 people who are in your backyard, those kids are in your backyard. Because one thing you don't want to see is for those kids to come back and beat you, especially a kid that's right around the corner from you. So. Yeah, and you know you're seeing a lot of these South Florida kids around the country. Um... You know, Sammy Watkins at Clemson is one that comes to mm-hmm. mind. Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville. You're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of these local southern part of Florida kids making massive imp- impact on the college football yep. landscape. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see. You know, I agree with you. I, I do think Miami is is making huge strides towards reclaiming that state of Miami 
um, and the current recruiting class is, is testament to that. He is the great but, Lamar but Gary, Thomas. Yeah. Gary, one, one last thing. I, I got to say now, I, I didn't shy away from any of those Miami recruits now. I was trying to get them. My job oh, also depends on <laughs> I might not was able to get them, but I was damn so trying. So <laughs> I'm not oh, afraid oh, of I nobody. That. I, 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 I know that. <laughs> hey, Lamar, who do you guys play this week? We play Tennessee. So uh, our goal is to be 2-0 in the SEC. So if we get to wow. 2-0 in the SEC, we can uh, claim our share of a ring. How about that? I'll tell you, West <laughs> Kentucky is now my second favorite team. Because I love the way you guys are scheduling. You guys aren't afraid of anybody. You're, you know, that's my biggest pet peeve with college football today is all these scaredy cats. And I'll tell you, Howard Stellenberger, he he came flat out and called the Gators scaredy cats. And I just, yep. I can't stand these athletic directors that will not schedule quality competitive football games for fans to enjoy on Saturdays. I love what you're doing at Western Kentucky. You opened with Kentucky, and now you're going to play Tennessee. Good luck, Lamar. Um, we wish you the best on, on Saturday. Thank Thanks. you so, so much for calling in tonight. Um, like I said, we really miss you, and hopefully we'll be able to catch up with you here as the season continues. Thank you, Gary, and uh, go Kane. That was the great Lamar Thomas. All right, Lamar, that was the great Lamar Thomas calling in on Kane Sport Live. We still have 10 minutes left for your calls, 646-595-2048. 646-595-2048. Let's go now to the uh, 504. You are now live on Kane Sport Live. Hello. Hello. Hey. Go ahead. Yes, uh, I got a, well, I was actually just listening in. I didn't mean, uh, yeah, I, I had asked a question a little bit earlier. But uh, I, well, since I'm, I'm on, I'll ask one, one, one question, another question. Um, Casey Rogers is is he going to be starting at at the free safety or is he um um how much playing time is he going to get for the Florida game? Well, I I think he's going to get a lot of playing time. I think the coaches were very happy with how he played against FAU and I I think they're doing a lot of scheming with him and um you know, so I I'm expecting him to play a lot on Saturday and obviously Deion Bush's status will have a lot to do with that. Um but I think you're a better football team with Rayshon Jenkins and Casey Rogers out there. Uh, nothing against A.J. Highsmith. You know, he, he does he does his best. But I think right now your two best healthy safeties, you know, are Jenkins and Rogers. And, you know, we'll see how quickly Bush can work back into the equation. Um, but I think that that's where that position stands right now. Okay, let's move on now to the 253. 253, you are now on Kane Sport Live. What's going on, Gary? Doing good. How you doing? Good, good. It's uh, you know, first of all, I want to say it's a good time uh, uh, of the year right now. Uh, football season is back, and uh, you know, I've uh, I've been on the site now for uh, uh, over two years now, so I've been following very closely. And I think this uh, this Kane Sport uh, Live is is an excellent thing. I actually broadcast from Phoenix, Arizona, so. So you know, my feeling is, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of uh, on the on the on the line, Gary. Are you still there? Oh yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. I'm just I'm just letting you have the stage. Hello, Gary. Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. So, 
So one of the things I want to comment on was, you know, after after the FAU game, and uh, you know, I always used to, I'm, I'm used to going on the site and checking out what other people's interpretation of how our performance was, and it just is overwhelmingly negative um, uh, on the site at times. And I just, I just wanted to say that, I, you know, that wasn't the game that I was watching. I, I got some very positive uh, feelings from the game. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. But you hope it's not perfect first game of the, of the season. Hopefully it's perfect by the 14th game, you know. And then to take that and translate it uh, on the site with some of our posters saying that, uh, you know, we have no chance to stand against UF, I think was a little bit um, overzealous to start off with. But nevertheless, <laughs> I think our team lines up very well against UF. I think we have the mental toughness from this team that is sort of been lacking in, in some of the teams over the last decade. And and it really has reverberated from from the coach himself, you know. I mean, he makes no excuse uh about uh, about how the team performs and you can you can you can feel those uh sentiments echoed in how uh how uh Steven talks and and uh, and how Chick talks and and um and even the coordinators talk. And so, you know, I, I guess my question to you is what does it have to take for a performance on Saturday to really start the ball rolling with everyone getting on the bandwagon with this team actually having as good of potential that that we all came in um, uh, thinking about, you know? Well, I, I think everyone's dying to be on the bandwagon. I think, you know, you can't mistake – you have to understand fans are fans, and, and fans – are critical of their team. They live their team. They die with their team, and they're going to critique their team more closely than people that might be peripheral followers or just general sports fans watching. So, you know, I never have a problem with with people looking at games with a critical eye. I, I, I think that you know that's what everyone does, and and I think everyone's opinion of what's good and what's bad is different. Everybody sees things differently. Everybody has different expectations. Um, everybody's looking at different things during the course of a ball game. I mean, not everyone's sitting there analyzing the offensive line. You know, Joe might have his eyes peeled to the offensive line and might be doing an in-depth analysis of the offensive line that he doesn't think is playing hard enough while somebody else is critiquing whether the receivers are doing a good enough job downfield blocking. So I don't think any two people necessarily always watch a football game the same way. They analyze, they, they live and die with their team. They, they want to see the team do well. They expect things to be perfect. Things are never perfect in football games. So people always have something to, to complain about, critique, criticize. That's part of being a sports fan. That's why we're all here. That's why we have a message board. That's why we're doing Kane Sport Live. I love every minute of it. It's my chosen profession. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, no, it's good. I mean, you know, it's fun. I, I wasn't you know, it's saying fun. that to, to to say that we have bad, you know, bad fans. I think uh, as a as a as a fan base, I think we're probably some of the most loyal. I mean, we're not the biggest, but we definitely sort of gravitate towards each other. Even on this side of the country, you know, I see another Miami fan. They they see me rocking out the Miami stuff, and and it's almost instantaneous icebreaker, you know. So, but um, you know, I'm excited for Saturday. I think I think I think the group of yeah. uh, that I'm I'm most right, excited for on tonight. Saturday. Uh, we got a couple. Hello. Hello. 
right, I'm gonna let you go for I'm, I'm gonna let you go for tonight. Uh, we've got some other callers that want to get in here. We only got a few minutes left. Uh, awesome call. Thank you so much, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you um, in future weeks. All right, real quick now, we're gonna try to get these last few calls in. Let's go out right now to the six one five. You're on Kane Sport Live. Gary. Yes, sir. All right, man. Hey, it's third Kane, buddy. I'll uh, I'll hey, be quick. How are you, man? Hey, uh, I'm great, bro. Hey, um, excited about this week. Um, please pray for my family having some uh, issues with my uh, father-in-law, but I am uh, I'm expected to be there, and I can't wait. Two quick points, man. It's great having Lamar on uh, this evening, but uh, two quick points. We had two players, and I didn't catch the earlier part of the show, but two players that are being criticized from last week. One was Stephen Morris, one was Philip Dorsett, and I'm looking for big games from them this week. You know, Stephen was – uh, would have had 80 more yards. We've talked about this to our all blue in the face. 80 more yards and two touchdowns without just two drops. Um, would have made a significantly better game. And, uh, and then, of course, Philip Dorsett. Now, I know that they were not throwing the screens to him, and they were throwing them to Bubba. You know, a couple of people have said that, you know, we're throwing to our slowest receiver. There's a reason why we were going away from Philip Dorsett last week. Uh, I know they watched film on him last year. There's a reason why we're going away from him, and there's a reason why, and I'll make a prediction in just a second, why he's going to have a lot of yards this week. Um, so Philip is going to be just fine, guys. Here's the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, and, Gary, I'm sure you saw this. Stephen Moore's had an interception, and we've all played backyard football, and it's because there was a guy that came back to the huddle and said, give me the dadgum ball, and you saw that. Steven was forcing it to try to get it to Dorsett on that play. It was ridiculous. It was backyard football. He shouldn't have done it. We'll all learn from it. But um, I'm not worried about these guys. Quick, uh, uh, I think this week I prognosticate that Dorsett has 140 yards and a touchdown, and I think Morris goes for 280 yards and three touchdowns. And um, I believe it. Sounds I think like these guys are going to be great. And, uh, and I'm pumped up. Hey, I'll leave you with this. In the immortal words, of uh, the great Miami Hurricane, Michael Irvin, don't you let any man in the way of you writing your history. I'll see you Saturday, brother. <laughs> you got it. Thanks for calling. All right, let's try to fit in uh, one more here from the 504. Um, 504, you are now on uh, on Kane Sport Live. Oh, we got a drop call there. Okay, we're going to go to the 904 now. You are now on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. I, I just wanted to call. Uh, I'm Marty from uh, Jacksonville. I was just calling to say hi and tell you how much I appreciate uh, the uh, the effort that you and Matt put into uh, keeping us uh, Canes fans uh, informed. I mean, I, I remember having probably half a dozen phone calls throughout the year of how, you know, throughout the years of how I was getting my printed a magazine of Kane Sport back in Atlanta in the early 90s, and uh, and I feel like I'm a very informed fan because of you guys, and uh, and it makes it really fun, especially back in the times here in the last few years where it's been you know, a little tougher to uh, to uh, to really watch and pay as much attention as I do, you know, following recruiting and everything like that. But you know, I I, uh, I went into the game last week looking at it that you know I'm I was thinking 45 to 10, you know, I was looking more for a dominant. Uh, defensive performance, hoping like all the Dickens that that would happen. Uh, you know, and I, I just expected the offense to do well, and of course the offense kind of uh, fluttered a little bit and, and kind of didn't meet near the expectations. But I did see a, a little more of a dominant defense. Uh, 
that I've seen in quite a long time, which gives me a lot of hope, and uh, and it makes it exciting moving forward. And I, and you know, it's hard to predict how these games will go. And uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Miami wasn't right in it at the end, and uh, and giving them a, a good run for their money, and uh, moving on uh, and building on you know the, what's going to be happening in the next couple of years if we can keep Coach Golden uh, in fold. Couldn't agree more. Um, obviously going to be a really exciting game Saturday. We're all looking forward to it, and hopefully everyone will come back next Tuesday night and we'll uh, rehash it and criticize it and tear it apart and, and be Canes fans and sports fans and uh, and have a great time doing it. And, and if the Hurricanes win, that would obviously make it even better. I want to thank everybody for participating tonight. I want to thank uh, Jim Martz, the uh, editor of Kane Sport, for spending some time taking us down memory lane. I want to thank the great Lamar Thomas for calling into the show tonight. Kane's Gators on Saturday. We'll see everybody at Sun Life Stadium, and then hopefully you'll come back next Tuesday night for another episode of Kane Sport Live. Good night, Kane's fans.